Politics, Politics, and Life Sciences Radio, also known as PLS Radio, is a show about the interplay of life sciences and politics. PLS Radio is hosted by Dean L. Finelli, Ph.D., an intellectual property attorney in Washington, D.C., whose practice focuses on issues connected to the life sciences industry. PLS explores cutting-edge topics involving the biotech and pharma ecosystems, political and governmental policy issues affecting the biotech and pharma industries, and much more. PLS guests include scientists, business, medical professionals, media personalities, newsmakers, and political leaders. Politics and Life Sciences Radio is your place for hot topic discussions and real news in the life sciences industry. Now, it's time for Politics and Life Sciences Radio with your host, Dr. Dean L. Finelli. This is Dean Finelli on Politics and Life Science Radio. Good afternoon, everyone. Here at Politics and Life Science Radio, we explore the intersection of politics and how they affect the life science industry and stories in the life science industry that are really cutting edge. And as most of you can imagine, they pretty much revolve around the COVID-19 situation. Uh, I'm a partner in the intellectual, excuse me, I'm a special counsel in the intellectual property department of Cooley LLP in Washington, D.C., and my practice is in patent prosecution and counseling in the biotech, pharma, and uh, chemical industries. I've also co-founded three biotech companies, so I'm very pleased to join you today. There's a lot going on in the industry. Scientists are testing whether the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines can be interchanged, meaning if you get the first shot of a Pfizer or Moderna vaccine, Can you get a second shot of the other vaccine to see if that will still stimulate that immune response? That would certainly alleviate a lot of the pressure on getting the people to come back and have the exact dose, tracking who, which people got which dose, and also uh, just getting the doses out would make it a lot easier. In addition, uh, scientists are also testing whether we can administer the second dose for these authorized vaccines. As we know, both of them are two-dose vaccines. Scientists are testing whether the second dose can be administered at a a further out time frame. So, for example, each of the vaccines now, the Pfizer has to be administered after three weeks, that second dose, Moderna, four weeks. Scientists are testing to see if they can be stretched out to even 12 weeks. That would certainly also alleviate a lot of pressure uh, in having people come back and this this issue about the second dose being available. Uh, we're also hearing a lot about uh, d- states, how the vaccines being distributed. You know, there are a lot of complaints out there from people. They want to be vaccinated. People that are in this phase 1A and phase 1B groups that are now in that high priority group that are allowed to get the vaccines. You know, a lot of these people are seniors. They just can't, they're not able to track down how to get it. They're Uh, You know, they're not as savvy, some of them, on the Internet and how to find programs and how to register for this. So certainly we have to correct that issue because we need people to get vaccinated and we want to make it as easy as possible. One other note that's out there, there's been some news that people are uh, trying to charge people for the vaccine. Now, that is the vaccine should be free. So anyone out there that feels as if they're, uh, hears that they're being charged, 
Uh, that should not be the case. Uh, the people that are available to administer the vaccine know this as well. So uh, certainly, uh, if you have insurance, they could request insurance, and there potentially could be an administrative fee. But as far as being charged for the vaccine, uh, that is not the case. That, that should be free. Uh, on politics and life science radio today, I'm happy to have a uh, very distinguished professor, Dr. Alva Ratman, who we'll talk to in a few minutes. Uh, this is Dean Finale on politics and life science radio. This is Dean Finale on politics and life sciences radio outside the nation's capital. I am very excited today and privileged to have Dr. Oliver Ratman with us today. Dr. Ratman is a Wellcome Trust funded PhD in Bayesian and Statistical Network Sciences uh, from Imperial College in London. He spent time in the U.S. at Duke University as part of the Sir Henry Wellcome Fellowship and returned to the Department of Infectious Disease uh, at Imperial College in 2012. Dr. Oliver Ratman focuses on developing statistical methods to characterize the spread of infectious disease and to guide public health interventions. He's developed novel ways to harness viral sequence data in combination with time-resolved patient data to measure population-level impact of interventions. So what a timely topic and what a privilege to have Dr. Ratman with us. Dr. Ratman, thank you for your time today. No, thank you very much for this kind introduction. I'm pleased to be with you today. So we're hearing so much about the, the prevalence of these different genetic variants through time. Uh, just from, from your impressions, how quickly is this virus changing? Well, you know, that's just, uh, it's a very timely question. So I've actually been involved in the um, um, analysis of the B117 lineage in the UK that, as you know, uh, is, is just in the headlines right now. And and what we see is that this lineage has, you know, uh, it was identified first uh, in our genomic surveillance in November. And, um, you know, we estimate it has probably emerged in September. Um, this was like a de novo mutation. Um, and since then, um, until December, it has spread to um, a 70% uh, share of all COVID-19 cases in the, the regions where um, it emerged originally. So we're talking about very short timelines and until it basically uh, forms the majority of all COVID-19 cases in, in, in England. Now, do you have a, an idea of, you know, this is an RNA virus, is that why it's spreading so quickly? Or do you, do you have, is there another reason? Is it the type of virus or is there something about this virus that, in your opinion, is, is impacting the change? Well, we did, you know, this was a very busy Christmas period and we did like substantive analysis on this topic. And um, um, what, we, what we infer is that this particular lineage, you know, so when we initially, when the genomic surveillance in, the, in England looked at it, right, so, so there is a bunch of samples that get sequenced and then, then you know, you look at the patterns that you see uh, genetically, phylogenetically. And, and you saw this kind of cluster of, of cases. Um, it was just originally just 50, 60 individuals. And, but that, you know, is a bit of an unusual signal. So, so you know, you follow this up. And then the, um, the particular uh, feature of this, this variant is that when in, in England, when we do the, um, the testing with a thermal Fisher test, um, so this tests um, for three different regions of the of the um, SARS-CoV-2 virus. 
And with this particular variant, because variant because it has an escape mutation um, in in the S gene, you get a very characteristic signal. So it's positive on two parts and negative on the other part. So that basically empowered us, you know, to go away from the genetic sequencing and look at the spread at the population level, right? Because you just can you can just look at all the the case testing results and just see where where you find this um, deletion pattern, and and so suddenly, you know, not looking, you're not only looking at 100 or 200 or 500 samples, but you're suddenly looking at um, tens of thousands um, of, of samples that you can, you know, investigate. So we did that. And, and, you know, and when we look at that, we clearly see that it has a transmission advantage. So it's just more transmissible. Well, and Dr. Ratman, one of the obvious major questions that people have are, you know, these changes in the frequency of the, the, the variant of concern uh, from the, the genetic data, how closely does the the frequency of the, the change in variants predict or correspond to, for example, a failure of the vaccine to to work uh, specifically to target that spike protein? Is there a direct relation? Um, so, yeah, just as you know, I, of course, like that's the next big question, and I, I can see you're very well prepared. Um, it's, you know, it's a little bit an open question. So, from the uh, B117 um, in the in the surface spike protein protein, you know there is like one major mutation in um, 501Y, and so currently all the evidence is suggesting that this is not a vaccine escape um, variant. Um, so there was a you know several uh, there was a very recently there was a study um, that looked at um, you know. The, um, the vaccine efficacy um, in in the UK and Brazil and, and South Africa, and what they found when they looked at the um, in, the participants in the trial in um, England, which was conducted where the new variant was spreading, they found a very similar efficacy um, as far as I, I remember. So this particular B117 lineage, you know, as far as I can judge, doesn't appear to be a major concern in terms of escaping vaccine, uh, the the vaccine. Um, so um, we can, we can, for now, we can expect that, you know, if you talk about this particular variant, uh, that individuals will still feel the protective benefits and, and don't suffer from severe COVID-19 infection if they get it. Oh, well, that's reassuring. We're talking with Dr. Is, yeah. Oliver Ratman on politics and life science radio. Dr. Ratman is a in the Department of Infectious Disease and Epidemiology at Imperial College. Dr. Ratman, we've heard that the, the variants are more transmissible than, than earlier viral lineages. How does this increase transmissibility in any way relate to a broadening of... So we've heard that the the main people that are susceptible to the symptoms of the virus are people over 65. Does the increase in transmissibility relate to uh, an increase in a broader population base? Um, so, so there's like, let me try and kind of unpick, you know, what, what, what you mentioned. So, so the one thing is like transmissibility. So how fast does the um, does that particular lineage spread, right? And um, so to put this into perspective, so in November here in England, we were under a light lockdown, so like a little bit like a stay-at-home order and a light touch, um, meaning that restaurants were closed, but schools were open, you know, people couldn't gather outside, um, that kind of thing. And 
And what we observe is that the, um, the main variants were declining, so the cases were going down. But the, um, um, the cases you know, attributable to this new B117 lineage were increasing. And, and so that, that was a major concern, and that's the main reason why now in England we are under a major lockdown, including closure of um, uh, primary schools and secondary schools. And we see the, the benefits of that, so cases are coming down quickly. But at the same time, you know, you can see you hear the stories from Portugal where the, where the, the, the hospital system is basically at, at capacity. Uh, there's European doctors fly, flown in from all over Europe to help. Um, in, in England, we are at, at hospital capacity, and um, and in Ireland, you saw that um, the, uh, the the B117 lineage likely was introduced um, into um, uh, in, into Ireland just before Christmas, and then at that point, because it's Christmas and they had very low cases, uh, below 100 per 100,000, um, they decided to lift. Um, the, uh, the, um, the precautionary measures, and, and that resulted in the massive spike in new cases. So we're talking about one thing is transmissibility, and the other thing is like once you are infected, how likely are you to um, face a severe COVID-19 infection or even death? And that's a different story. That's really interesting. We keep hearing about you know return to normalcy, and you know I'm just so glad that we have someone with your expertise in statistics, you know, the, the U.S., uh, Dr. Fauci, who's leading the response in the U.S., has mentioned a return to normalcy, you know, sometime the end of summer, fall. But, you know, when you think about, you know, this, there are new variants coming out and we're a global, basically a globalized world, you know, how concerned are you that, you know, is, is it realistic to say that, you know, we'll be able to get back to somewhat normalcy at some point, or is this, you know, when will we statistically kind of get this under control? And I know that's a, a difficult question to answer. But. I, 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 no, 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 it is, it is. But, you know, like, I, you know, um, I'm not sure if statistics can really help, look, to be honest, you know. Um, let's be, you know, let's put the hands down. Like, um, uh, two months ago, you know, there was no evidence of, you know, new variants emerging. Like, uh, the, you know, the B117, the Brazil variant, the South African variant. No one would have, you know, there was no evidence of that, right? So, so who knows what the future brings? But, but let's be optimistic, right? So the, um, you know, for all we know, the B117 that we have here in England doesn't escape the vaccine. So, you know, if we, it's a, it's a race. So the more individuals we, we get uh, vaccinated, you know, on a voluntary basis, um, clearly it's a good thing, you know, like if you're vaccinated. Uh, you know, your chance of uh, having a severe COVID-19 infection is reduced by at least 95%. You know, that's the trial. If you look at the data from Israel, it's even better. So, so clearly it's a good thing. I can only encourage everyone to get vaccinated. Um, now that is about, you know, having severe COVID-19 infection. Um, if you talk about, you know, taking the pressure away out of, you know, society that people become infected, right? Um, so, so then you then we need a vaccine that also blocks transmission, and that is something that is currently heavily investigated. There's some positive signs that um, the, the vaccines are also blocking transmission, which was just you know very exciting. Um, so, so let's stay optimistic on that. It's been such a fantastic um, technological advance to get these vaccines rolled out in in Godspeed, and um, and I think what we all need now is. Um, 
uh, people realizing how beneficial that is to their own health and um, delay as much as possible the establishment of the um, of, of any new variants. Um, so that means, you know, wherever they are, when, whenever you find them in the U.S., you know, uh, mass test the the neighborhoods. You know, just try as quickly as possible um, isolate and and contain the new variants wherever you find them. Yeah, I hope we are, and we we have to keep staying optimistic. Optimistic. That's the only thing that's getting us through this. Dr. Ratman, the last question I'll ask you is. I read some of your papers and preparing for this and you're, you're just doing such fascinating work and such important work. You know, there's probably a, a lot of children that are growing up now, teenagers that are growing up that are, you know, experiencing this firsthand, which, you know, us as adults <laughs> looked back at the 1918 Spanish flu and it was only in history. What do you tell kind of kids that are looking at this that kind of see you and what you've done how, how, what advice do you have for them to get into kind of, you know, where a Dr. Ratman is kind of leading the charge on investigating how this disease is affecting us and how this is, is changing? What advice can you give to students out there? Um, uh, I think like in terms of, you know, the, the, the public health advice is like uh, generally what, what we've discovered through our work is that it's COVID-19 is a very atypical respiratory disease. You know, it's, primarily spreading um, through adults aged 20 to 49. So that is, you know, if you talk about the, the, the typical respiratory infections like flu, measles, it's not a childhood infection. Um, in that regard, if you're talking about the main variants, right, that are currently circulating primarily in the U.S., it's, you know, what we are seeing in schools is stuttering transmission chains, but not explosives. Yes, there are likely outbreaks. Often it's like, you know, athletic events, uh, maybe like some in, things that happen by chance. But overall, um, schools are a fairly safe environment, thanks to all the precautionary measures that have been taken already. Um, and then, you know, on a very personal note, I'd say, um, look, all the, all, you know, teams and, and that are listening in, it's never been such a good time to get into, involved in data science. And, you know, um, there's, Personally, I've experienced so much um, forthcoming help from major technology companies, um, Facebook are making their data available, Google, um, the companies that were involved in our study, um, they're all in the same boat. Dr. Ratman, thank you so much for your time today. And more importantly, thank you so much for all that you're doing for science and for the globe to help us understand, you know, what's going on and more importantly, how we're going to get through this. I appreciate your time today and good luck and stay <laughs> You're healthy. welcome. Thank you very much for the opportunity to talk to you today. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on Politics and Life Science Radio. This is Dean Finelli. It was a pleasure to have Dr. Ratman with us today. I hope you'll join us next week on Politics and Life Science Radio, where we talk about issues affecting the life science industry and politics that affect the, the life science industry. Thank you again. This is Dean Finelli, Politics and Life Science Radio. Thank you for listening to Politics and Life Sciences Radio with Dr. Dean L. Finelli. For more information, check us out at facebook.com slash politics and life sciences.